You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I have a really exciting guest, Tim Solo, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at HREFs. And Tim has, was born in Ukraine. He, he now lives in Singapore. He's the Chief Marketing Officer and Product Advisor at HREFs, or, or you can call it HREFs, which is an industry-leading SEO tool, a uh, tool that I personally use uh, more than a dozen times a day. It's powered by big data. With almost 10 years of practical experience in SEO and digital marketing, Tim eagerly shares his knowledge by giving live talks at various digital marketing conferences around the world and publishing blogs at, on the Ahrefs blog. He's the author of many data-driven SEO research studies and a number of detailed marketing guides. So Tim, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hey, Paris. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Yeah. Uh, Tim, how long have you been at, uh, at Ahrefs? Uh, six years. So I think within a month from now, I'll be celebrating six years with Ahrefs. Okay. And uh, can you just tell me a little bit about the journey that you've been on at Ahrefs? It seems that um, this is where your career really, really took off during these last, yeah, last several uh, years. I was incredibly lucky to join a great product at the early stages of its uh, kind of its race to the top. Uh, mm -hmm. When I joined HREFs, uh, there were only 16 people, mm -hmm. including me, 16, that's one six, not 60, uh, mm -hmm. 16 people. Uh, and I was the only person doing marketing at HREFs. So that's basically, uh, yeah, I think it, it was just lucky of me to join such an incredible company uh, at such an early time. And I checked LinkedIn and uh, there are 64 employees, according to LinkedIn, compared to SEM Rush, which is almost a thousand employees. And I'm a little bit biased, but but I, I clearly have a preference. How how can you all do what you do in this competitive space when you have, I don't know, when you have one twentieth of the workforce of say uh, SEM Rush? Yeah, I think uh, it's about having an edge uh, in a few things. So our CEO and founder, Dmitry, he's an incredibly technical person. Well, other than being like a successful business person, apparently, uh, he's mm -hmm. also like what people see him as the founder and CEO of a successful company, but people don't know like how much stuff ha happening behind the scenes and how Dmitry is actually uh, in, in trenches, how he actually participates in the product development, how he actually digs into the code that we have, how he, how he overlooks the technical side of the product. So like one of the biggest competitive advantages of HFs as a business, not as a product or as a tool, is actually the, the technical acumen of our CEO and founder. So a lot of the times companies would be started by people who, who have knowledge and experience in business or in marketing, 
not so much in tech. Mm-hmm. So in, in our case, in the case of HFs, uh, Dmitry's core competence is actually tech. So he's, uh, he's a developer, he's a programmer himself, uh, and he's incredibly good at it. And he just needed to learn a little bit of the business side of running things, which, which arguably is not as uh, hard to learn as uh, being a good uh, at programming and tech. So I think this is uh, one of the main advantages of HFs is that Dmitry uh, was overlooking the development and we had uh, superior tech. And I think we still have superior tech. Uh, and this will remain our competitive advantage. So when the CEO and founder of the company is so obsessed about making sure that tech is like the best of the best, uh, it's really hard to compete with that by hiring employees and telling them, can you please make our tech best of the best? So it's a little different story. Mm-hmm. How involved is Dimitri in the marketing side of the business? Oh, he's... Pretty, pretty much involved. Uh, a lot of the things that uh, I'm doing in marketing, uh, I'm doing them because he gave me the direction. So he, uh, at first, uh, he gave me lots of freedom because when I just joined HREPS and asked him, okay, Dmitry, what's, what are my, my KPIs? What is my objective? What should I achieve for you? How would you rate uh, my performance? Uh, he didn't give me give me any specific KPI that I would be responsible for. He just said, uh, help grow the business, help get more paying customers, help retain those customers, uh, he- help the customers stay, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So mm-hmm. I didn't have a, like any specific traffic number that I should uh, achieve, or any specific number of leads, or like any conversion rates or anything. He just said like. Do anything that you that you can to to help grow business. So at first he he kind of gave me lots of freedom, but then he was overlooking the stuff that I was doing and advising and kind of uh, limiting me in some ways to do marketing the way he wants, the way he sees that. So for mm-hmm. example, uh, he banned a lot of the uh, common marketing practices. For example, pop-ups, uh, pop-ups or lead magnets. Uh, lots of lots of uh, uh, businesses, online businesses, would use pop-ups and would use different lead magnets to convert people to the email list and then nurture them later, etc. Dmitry yeah. always thought that it is spammy, so he just said, "We're not going to use any pop-ups. We're not going to use any lead magnets." You know, when you offer people to download some ebook, they download it and then you keep sending them emails, which are basically unsolicited. So he banned this practice, and similarly, he also doesn't like. Uh, remarketing, retargeting when someone visits your website uh, and then you stalk them on Facebook, on Twitter and pretty much uh, everywhere else where you can show them your ad knowing that uh, they visited your website and have your cookie, uh, you stalk them. So Dmitry also doesn't like this marketing practice and he simply banned them. So so he actually uh, helped, helped me a lot. Uh, in finding the, the direction of marketing that uh, HFs is taking right now. So yeah, he's he's very involved in pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. So if if, if you, the use of third-party cookies was banned early on at, at HFs, it sounds like you all are really ready for the future now because everybody's going to be dealing with that pretty soon. And uh, yeah, there's going to be exactly. a major shift to first-party data. So the, so yeah, Dmitry, he, he, he kind of saw the future coming. Yeah. I think I think that future is going to hit us faster than we all realize as as mar- digital marketers. 
Um, and, and we're certainly trying to get our, our clients and people prepared for that, for that new reality when uh, remarketing based on a third-party cookie is, is not going to be just something that you take for granted anymore. It has to be done differently. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the SEO industry. I've always uh, viewed Ahrefs as a major thought leader in the industry for, for the past several years. Uh, can you, our, our audience is primarily SaaS businesses, B2B SaaS marketers. Uh, based on what you see happening in SEO, can you just talk about the, the major trends that you see now in SEO? And then how can a SaaS company that really wants to crush it with SEO and, and grow their organic traffic, what should they be doing and thinking about right now? Uh, one major trend I'm seeing uh, is not fun at all. Uh, and that is Google seems to be turning their search results into content. So this is what I tweeted just a few hours ago. Uh, when I checked on mobile one search query that we are ranking for, and we are ranking in top three. So depending on the country you search for, we might be ranking with our blog article, number one, number two, or number three. But when you open it on mobile, first you see three huge ads. So you need quite a few uh, scrolls of, with your thumb to get passed through them. Yeah. Then you get the first search result. So they still like uh, after, after those three ads and there can be four. So I guess there's not enough people bidding for this keyword to display four ads. Otherwise, there would be four ads and you, you'll have to scroll even further on your mobile phone. Then they display one organic search listing, which is the one that you don't pay for. Now, after it, there's people also ask box. There's mm -hmm. knowledge panel. There's a box uh, people also search for. You gave people only one freaking organic search result and you're already giving people also search for blog. Why? Why don't you give them more search results to pick from? And mm -hmm. only then, after all that stuff, Google is showing number two ranking result and number three ranking result. And this is, uh, this is ridiculous. Uh, they are uh, enhancing their search result pages with content so that people wouldn't really go anywhere other than clicking on the ads where Google is getting revenue or clicking the content within the search result. Those people also ask mm -hmm. boxes, those knowledge panels uh, and that kind of stuff. So this is the trend I'm seeing and they really don't like the trend because people spend time, effort, money to create content to answer the questions that people might be asking to Google. And what Google seems to be doing is they starting to aggregate those content on their mm -hmm. own search engine results. So they, they are kind of using algorithms to create content within their search results instead of sending traffic to, to the owners of the websites. And I really mm -hmm. don't like uh, this trend within SEO. And uh, actually, our own website uh, got affected by that because for a very long time, for six years that I've been with Ahrefs, every single google update we were going up so no matter what mm -hmm. they changed in their algorithm uh, our website was ticking all the boxes of quality content quality backlinks uh, brand blah 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 you name it mm -hmm. but as they started rolling out more of these so-called serp features into their search results and people started clicking less 
we are now getting less search traffic. So this is very upsetting for me. And uh, this is why I think uh, uh, regulators should go harder on Google uh, to, to kind of rein them in because uh, what they're doing is uh, completely ridiculous. Do you think there's still any value for being the content provider who, who supplies that answer and who shows up in a, either in a knowledge panel or in an instant answer? Isn't there still value that you're the brand that Google chose as the answer uh, for, for a particular question? Uh, yes and no. So Google cannot, cannot uh, operate without content. So if all websites in the world would suddenly block Google from crawling and indexing them, Google wouldn't have any information to show to its user, users. Mm -hmm. So Google still has to share uh, some of the traffic with the websites that they're getting the content from. So obviously, yeah, you still have to do SEO. SEO is still bringing uh, you free traffic to your website. But Google tries to uh, tries to diminish the amount of free search traffic that you can get, and actually this is a trend with pretty much any platform. Uh, every platform, whether it is Facebook, Twitter, Google, uh, tries to keep users within the platform. So, for example, uh, I am quite uh, an active user of Twitter, and what I've meant, what I've noticed is that whenever I'm tweeting. Uh, just plain text tweets or like tweets with images mm -hmm. or threads, I am getting lots of uh, traction. People are liking, retweeting, and Twitter keeps showing my content to more and more people. But as soon as I add the link to pretty much the same tweet, pretty much the same piece of content, mm -hmm. Twitter wouldn't be as eager to show my content to other people because it would lead to people leaving the platform. They will click the link and leave Twitter. Mm -hmm. So it seems yeah. Google is trying to do the same. They're trying to prevent people from leaving the search results. They try to give people kind of an instant answer, satisfy their curiosity or whatever problems they were having within the search yeah. results. And this might be good for people uh, in some cases, but it is definitely bad for content creators. And that is the, yeah. one of the reasons why uh, HFs is working on our own search engine. Ah, okay. I, I want to hear no, more about that. Oh, you didn't know that? that? <laughs> no, no. I want to. We'll come. We'll come right back to that. I, I have a theory here, and I was at Google for a couple of years in 2014 and 2016. I think there was a major, major shift in Google's mission as the world shifted from desktop to mobile. In the desktop, the pre-mobile world, Google's mission was to organize the world's information, and. The, they, I don't think they had any goal to keep users confined on Google. I think actually it was quite the opposite. They wanted to get people off of the search results as quick as possible to their, to their destination, to their answer. And, and providing those links and providing the best search results that were driven more by backlink profiles as opposed to keywords on those pages. Uh, that's, that's why they won the search game in the 90s. But then mobile came around, and I think that they realized that, um, first of all, that the mobile web was nowhere near where it needed to be, and that sending traffic to really bad performing mobile websites was a bad experience, and even initiating that from Google would also be bad for Google. Um, and they also realized that they had to monetize uh, on mobile the way they monetized on desktop. And I think that they realized then that the mission is no longer to organize the world's information, but that 
the mobile device and Android in particular needed to be the ultimate assistant. And this is what the Sundar, the CEO then, and he became CEO back then, he kept repeating it over and over is that we, uh, we need to be the, we need to be the ultimate assistant. So that, that doesn't mean organizing the world's information anymore. That means giving people the answers that they need in those moments that they need them in the so-called micro moments. And that doesn't imply that Google ever believed that they had an obligation to, to content providers or to publishers to send them traffic. But simply the mission changed is to make this device the ultimate assistant. That means to provide the answer uh, and, and to satisfy people's informational needs in the moments. I think that's what generally happened. And I think publishers, in a way, they just got screwed because Google never uh, had, Google's perspective was we never felt obligated to send you all this traffic. Just We were just organizing the web in the first, in the first version of all this. But in the second version, well, now actually we're just going to give you the users the answer because they don't want to go to, the, to your crappy mobile website, which is too slow and it's not mobile friendly. And now core web vitals, you know, things are jumping around. I think Google will send traffic back to the mobile web when the mobile web starts really behaving as fast and as user-friendly as, as apps on mobile. And well, probably that's uh, still a few years away. While I'll see your point, I don't quite agree with it. And the reason for that is that Google is not so obsessed about the users, like sending someone to a bad non-mobile optimized website. Oh my God, this is so bad for Google. It's not like there's an alternative. It's not like if I search for something on mobile in Google, I click on the result and land on a bad website, I'll go use Bing. No, Google, like what is that? They have 90% market share and that market share is not necessarily because they have better search results. It's because yeah. of all the other things. They, they have created uh, a, like a platform. So people are using Gmail, people are using YouTube, like Google Suite uh, and all mm-hmm. that. Plus they pay like billions of dollars to Apple to be the de facto search engine uh, on mobile phones. Plus they own Android. So it's not like people are using them because they're the best search engine. People are using them first and foremost because like they dominate everything and they they crush the competition. And the same is pretty much with content creators. So you say Google doesn't feel obligated to send anyone traffic, but this is only possible because Google is the only source of traffic. If there Mm -hmm. were like three search engines with a 33% share each, uh, and one of them didn't feel obligated to send traffic to content creators, content creators would exclude that search engine from indexing their content in the first place. Why would you give your content to to a search engine that is not giving you anything back? And they would rely mm-hmm. on two other search engines. For example, if you would want to, to uh, search the web and get articles from Ahrefs, you'll have to use Bing because uh, Ahrefs mm-hmm. closes... Uh, Ahrefs doesn't allow Google to index their content. And if you if you want to make sure that Ahrefs articles are in your search results, you'll have to use Bing. But this is not possible given how dominant mm. Google is. So the problem yeah. is that Google I'm guessing you are, are, you are not even anywhere close to making that kind of a, of a move, right? You're not going to de-index. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, of course, because Google, because Google mm. is, is so huge. Yeah, yeah. I think to your, to your point, I, I do agree. Um, I think the real fear of Google back in 2015, 2016 was that a bad mobile experience would actually cause people to stop searching on mobile. 
and then they wouldn't be able to transfer their business from desktop to mobile. And they, they got over that though. I think they overcame that. But the way that they did it was by providing instant answers on mobile a lot more. Um, and in the process, they, they kind of screwed the, the content publishers uh, by, by limiting the traffic. Um, well, anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about the search engine that you all are building. Can you tell me, tell me a little bit, whatever you can say about it and, and when can we expect to get our hands on it? Well, uh, I, I cannot say much because uh, right now this project is at the stage where I am personally not uh, very involved in that. So we don't yet need a lot of marketing for uh, our search engine, which uh, hasn't even been released yet. Uh, but our CEO and founder, Dmitry, has a few tweet threads where he is explaining the idea behind the search engine. And just recently he tweeted that we are most likely on track to release the beta version of our search engine this year. And basically the twist is, so there's uh, DuckDuckGo, which is a search engine. It is, of course, like much, much smaller than Google, but it is growing in popularity. And the only twist it has, uh, I think they, they actually don't even, don't even have their own index of the web. They just take uh, APIs of being some other search engines and they blend them in and create kind of uh, a mashup of the search results from other search engines, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't think they, they crawl the web and store the web themselves. That's but what I've heard too about that, them, yeah. Yeah, but their twist is that uh, they they give you privacy. They don't stalk you like, like we just uh, talked about with remarketing or retargeting, and they don't save any information from you, which later can somehow be used to, to influence your decisions, et cetera, et cetera. And this search engine is growing in popularity because people like the idea of privacy. People don't like a lot of people in the world don't like uh, Google spying on them, and this gives uh, this search engine uh, its growth. So what Dmitry uh, is uh, planning to do is, of course, we are also big advocates of privacy. So we like what DuckDuckGo is doing, and we we're going to continue doing that. So our search engine would also be private, but then. Uh, because we see this problem with content creators getting screwed more and more by Google and basically, in a way, losing motivation to put out amazing content uh, on the Internet. Because, like, what do you get out of it? If I'm uh, an experienced professional in a certain field and I know that people are asking a question to Google uh, about the thing that I'm, that I'm very uh, knowledgeable about, What's the point for me to answer this question and to, to give Google great content if Google won't even send those people to me? There is no reason to do that. So Dmitry's idea is that he wants to create, uh, he, is, he plans to create a search engine with profit share uh, with content creators. So 90% of the profits of the search engine will go to content creators and 10% of the profits will be used to keep this thing running. So that's basically the idea. And uh, uh, there are many different ways how uh, content creators might get compensated. So, for example, based on how many times they are being served as a search result or maybe how many times people click on them or maybe how authoritative is their content. So there's like this is still this system is still uh, in development. So we are uh, working on that uh, and there is no definitive answer. But the, the underlying idea is that Dmitry thinks that uh, 
search engine uses the content of other people to create its product, which is the search results. And if you're using someone else's work, those people have to be compensated for it. And this is where the idea of uh, profit sharing search engine is coming from. That's very interesting on the business model and side. Another interesting thing that uh, HFs is uh, in a unique position to launch this kind of product because profit sharing search engine doesn't make sense for any VC-backed start startup. So no venture capitalist would invest money into a project that would share 90% of its revenue. While Ahrefs is bootstrapped uh, and Dmitry is funding the search engine from the profits of Ahrefs uh, and he can, he can like, do any business he wants. So if he decides that he wants to share 90% of the revenue with the content creators, he can do that and he doesn't need to report to any VCs. He, he's, he, he's not, he doesn't have a pressure to take this company public or any of that, that stuff. What about the ranking algorithm of this? Is it, is it going to be based on authority and links primarily or um, how different would it be or how much can you share about how the, how the search uh, engine algorithm will rank the, those publishers and the results? Uh, well, the, the search algorithm would be very similar to Google, obviously, because uh, the, the, the page rank makes sense like uh, ranking pages based on how many other websites or pages are referencing them. Uh, and then it all boils down to how many other ranking factors we want to blend in. And I guess that would be a work in progress pretty much like uh, it is with Google. So they are rolling out new little updates to their algorithm all the time. And as far as I can see, those updates are now even industry-specific. So, for example, in one of the latest updates, they were targeting product review websites. So they have special algorithms to deal with content that is uh, that that has reviews of different products, and they, they try to gauge uh, if that review is trustworthy, if it's uh, going deep enough, if the person even used the product, and like all those little clues. So uh, I'm pretty sure the same situation would be with our search engine, where we would take the links as the foundation and from there we'll keep improving the the algorithm in many different ways yeah in a way it really makes sense because you're already dedicating such massive resources to crawling a big portion of the web and i don't know how many i guess it's in the trillions how many links that you all crawl is it is it a number in the trillions i guess something like that yeah, I stopped even paying attention to those numbers because oh, it's, yeah, it's, they, it's mind they boggling. are yeah, yeah, like you you cannot wrap yeah. your hand or, uh, head around them. But yeah, the uh, so, some people were saying that Ahrefs is distracting ourselves with the search engine project, but actually, if you think about it, Ahrefs is a search console for the future search engine. So uh, Google first created a search engine, and then they created Search Console, Google Webmaster Tools. We have first created our kind of version of Search Console, Google Webmaster Tools. So we, we have like, we crawl the internet, we're storing uh, all the content, we have all the links, blah, blah, blah. And now we're working on the search engine. And those two things are very interconnected because as we will be improving our ranking algorithm, we can roll out more interesting features to Ahrefs customers to help them understand how search algorithms work 
and uh, help po help point them in the right direction of how to make their website better, their content better, or, of how to rank higher. So those two things, having an SEO tool and your own search engine, they are super interconnected. Yeah. You've just got to move over uh, a few billion people from Google over to, to Ahrefs' new search engine, <laughs> well, and then uh, it's going to be Again, if you look golden. at DuckDuckGo, which we just discussed is simply a blend of search results from other, other search engines plus, plus privacy, and if you if you look up their growth rate, they're growing quite consistently. So no one is saying that tomorrow Ahrefs releases a search engine and everyone is switching from Google to Ahrefs search engine. No, it's it's uh, it's a long term play, and uh, Dmitry likes the idea of search engine that uh, that would be sharing profits. If it takes him, I don't know, five years to create something that that would have at least I don't know. 1%, 5% of the search engine industry. Uh, it's still okay with him. He just, he just oh, likes this challenge. 5% would be, would be massive, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, it's massive. Even 1% be, is a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Will, will there be ads in the results? Uh, yeah, I think so, because we need to monetize the search engine. Okay, so, so that we'll be monetized with ads in the SERPs. Yeah, right. Gotcha. Oh, that's fascinating. I can't wait to, I can't wait to see that come out. Hopefully um, this year. Hopefully this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, better, better version. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dmitry said it in his uh, tweet thread. So the better version uh, is likely uh, to be released this year. Yeah. So Tim, I want to pivot over to content marketing. I have I've always been watching you all uh, develop in that area also for years, and I think this is one of the reasons why you're you're winning in the SEO tool space, which is hyper, hyper competitive. Um, and I noticed a couple of years ago, a really big push into video. And I really started to get hooked on Sam's videos. They're excellent. Can you just talk about your overall content strategy? And particularly if, if you were to give any advice to a SaaS company that's looking to, to really model the success you've had with content marketing, how would you advise them to go about it and, and structure their strategy the way you all have? Uh, this is a great question, and uh, I think it is best illustrated with uh, a real story, uh, which happened to me shortly after joining Ahrefs. So uh, when I came to Singapore uh, and visited the office, I saw uh, a Wacom tablet. So this is like a tablet for drawing. If you are uh, a designer, you take uh, like a digital pen and draw on it, and it appears uh, on the screen. Uh, and my wife uh, is a part artist, so she likes to draw. Uh, and that Wacom tablet it wasn't being used by anyone in the office. So I asked Dmitry if, if I can take it home and my wife could try working with it and see uh, if she enjoys it. Uh, which he allowed, so I took the tablet home. I connected it to my computer. I installed some software. And then I was stuck because I didn't know like what to launch, where to go, how to use those tools. So I opened YouTube and I searched how to get started with a Wacom tablet or like basic features of Wacom, Wacom tablet. And then it hit me. So I realized that Ahrefs is basically the same thing as this Wacom tablet, where people understand that this is a great tool for accomplishing something and they want to use it, but they don't necessarily have all the knowledge of how to use it already in their head. So what they're going to do, they're going to go to Google, they're going to go to YouTube, 
and they're going to search for answers to those questions, like how to use HREFs, how to build links with HREFs, how to do keyword research with HREFs. And what I realized that we have to create all that content that answers all those questions and not necessarily about HREFs specifically. So if people want to know how to build links and HREFs can help them with this, and they go to Google and search for how do I build links, our content has to be ranking there and our content has to show them how to accomplish this with the use of our toolset. So that's basically the foundation uh, of our content strategy. We create educational content to show people how to solve their problems with the help of HREFs. And it works uh, more or less the same on YouTube and uh, on our blog. Yeah, I think this is a massive opportunity that a lot of SaaS companies can take greater advantage of, which is first realizing that YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world. And a lot of people now prefer to watch a short video as opposed to read a, a blog post to get the same the same advice or the same guidance. And in particularly with, with SEO, I think also... Um, I think it's just more digestible and a lot of questions are more digestible with short videos. And uh, I think that's, that's been a real key to, to the growth in the last couple of years for you all, the, the investment in video. And on the content side, I still see a lot of really active blogging at least every week. What's the strategy with, with, with written content and how has that changed over the last few years? Keyword research. So we do keyword research. We figure out uh, what kind of things people are searching for where HFs can be helpful to them. And we write articles about those things. So that's pretty much the strategy. We don't really uh, publish content unless it's about a keyword that we know people are actively searching for in Google. And unless we know that while covering that topic, we can show off HFs. We can blend in some use cases of HFs uh, or some relevant metrics uh, or anything along those lines. What kind of content team do you have producing all the content? Uh, uh, the content team is pretty small. So we have at this moment three people who are writing articles and one designer who does uh, all the, uh, actually right now two designers that do all the graphic work uh, to make our content day pleasing. Do any of the engineers ever write content or do they ever come up with ideas for, for content? Uh, engineers actually have uh, a tech blog of their own, uh, but most of the time they are focused on uh, work uh, rather than sharing their their experience. Yeah, but yeah, gotcha. they they don't write about uh, about SEO. They write about their technical things, which uh, I don't really understand because I'm not a technical person. Yeah, yeah. Let Let's talk about the paid the paid acquisition side of things. Have you all worked out a really good paid acquisition strategy? And what does that look like? No, uh, in, uh, in the classic sense of it, we, we don't have any paid acquisition at all. Uh, if if uh, the definition of paid acquisition is to create a landing page and uh, convert a person into a lead or like mm -hmm. uh, a, a trial. So we have a seven-day, uh, seven-day, $7 trial. So if we're talking about creating a landing page and advertising it on Google or Facebook or anywhere else so that to get people to sign up for a trial, 
we don't have any paid acquisition of that sort uh, at all. Uh, if we're talking about uh, paid traffic, we do have paid traffic because whenever we create content, whether, whether it is a blog article or a video or sometimes even a tweet, we want that content to reach more relevant people. And because most of the platforms uh, are kind of pay-to-play in a way, way, well, Facebook is incredibly pay-to-play uh, unless you, you run ads on your Facebook post if we're talking about a business page. Uh, no one would see it. Uh, with Twitter, it is it is much better. So if your if your post is really engaging, they would show it to a lot of people. But even then, uh, boosting our posts on Facebook and Twitter uh, with a little bit of ad budget helps us to reach more people. So if we're talking about paid traffic uh, for the sake of getting more people to uh, to visit our educational content and other educational materials that we create, yes, we do we do this kind of uh, thing. Mm-hmm. So um, most of the most of the paid traffic is is to amplify content, right, and to get a greater reach and a faster reach and traction with content. Yeah, like ninety nine percent, ninety nine percent. So in very rare cases, uh, we would try to get some paid traffic to a landing page and try to convert people directly to the product. But historically, when we were trying to calculate the cost per lead, uh, it was through the roof. So we realized that uh, it is very hard to convert a person uh, who haven't heard about HFs before right into signing up for our tool. It is much easier to give them some educational content and to throw them into the rabbit hole of educational materials. So then they will educate themselves and they would understand what HFs is, what it helps them with. And then they would go and voluntarily sign up for our product. Yeah. So this is more of a product-led growth strategy than it is about a really uh, I would say calculated it's a, acquisition. I would I would call it education-led growth strategy. Uh, I I don't remember which book I, I read it from, but there was a nice phrase that the first time people use your product is in their heads. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to create content to make people use HFs in their heads, as opposed to. Uh, like I said, giving them this Wacom tablet and and telling them, use it. No, first go look at the tutorials, go go look at reviews, understand how to use it, what are the applications, and then decide uh, to make a purchase and uh, have it home and work with it. I'm, I, I'm just messing around now in, in Ahrefs Keyword Explorer, and I went... Um... I looked at Ahrefs and then I limited my searches with terms that include verses. So I wanted to see, is there a bottom of the funnel, really people, Ahrefs versus X. So the number one, I don't know, can you guess the most popular one? Uh, 700 per month? Probably SEMrush. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And then- so um, Can you search for that in Google, Ahrefs versus SEMrush? Sure. And tell me if you see uh, any pages from Ahrefs ranking there. Let's see here. You have two, two other, uh, two advertisers. Yep, you've got it. You've got that organic page. Yeah, what the industry thinks. Oh, and you included Moz in there too. I think what year? I yeah. remember seeing that. Uh huh. Oh, you just got the slash versus. Yeah. So I've got to ask you here. I mean, th- this this is exactly how we advise SaaS companies in really competitive categories. 
just just to 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 play in that bottom of the funnel space when people are in that in that last they're definitely in market and they're narrowing down their decision set to two or three. Why wouldn't you advertise that this page? That's it's a it's a great page actually. Why why not advertise that for uh, what looks to be at least a couple of thousand really highly qualified searches a month in the U.S. Uh, we might do this, uh, but for now it is ranking organically. Uh, a lot of people are clicking it, so we just don't want to give Google money where we feel we deserve to get those searches for free. So this is this is a similar question to asking why don't you bid on your own brand? So if people yeah. search for Ahrefs in Google and freaking Google allows anyone to bid on our brand name, which means if you search for Ahrefs, you'll see like all ads for our competitors there. And only then you will see the, the top ranking search result, which is our own website. This is ridiculous because we were just, mm-hmm. uh, just like 20 minutes ago, we were talking about Google wanting to please users and give them relevant information and blah, blah, blah. Well, if you want to give people relevant information, then freaking understand that Ahrefs is a branded query and people are looking for freaking Ahrefs, not our competitors. Mm-hmm. So put us number one. So why are you forcing us to bid to get searches? Why would I pay money to a search engine to send me people who are looking for me? This is this is plain ridiculous. So this is yeah. the, the same the same answer to the question why why don't we advertise the, the versus page? Because it already mm-hmm. ranks pretty well yeah. organically. And yeah, Google is forcing us to want to advertise this because other people are advertising for this query and pushing us uh, lower. But we yeah. don't really like uh, this, this, this trajectory. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Philosophically, I do think to force brands to have to protect, to basically to protect their brands by bidding to crowd out competitors, uh, it creates a bit of nastiness and... Uh, we normally do advise our SaaS clients to to protect their brands in that way, but it really is a way to protect. Because I see on the on the SERP for Ahrefs, at least where I'm sitting in Bulgaria, that web web CEOs got the got the ad on top, and they even have uh, they have these the ad extensions, which is taking up almost the whole fold. Yes, and and they're they're probably getting a really big chunk of your navigational traffic traffic that is there with navigational intent, but they get distracted by the ad and, and, uh, and well, I'm sure those leads are very expensive to whoever is ranking there. Because if, if a person is purposefully uh, searching for Ahrefs and you try mm-hmm. to shoehorn them uh, a completely other brand, it would be hard to convert those people. So yeah, I would think that those leads rate. are expensive for them. So if they want to pay for those expensive leads, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What what bothers me most actually is that they're using they're using Ahrefs brand in the ad text, which really yeah. You should report. We, we, you should we, report them. Yeah, on that. we try to report them. Yeah, we try to report yeah. whenever we see that people are using our brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, excellent. Well, so in in terms of pay, then you really don't look at it like most SaaS companies really just look at the unit economics and say, our LTV. We know our LTV is X. We need to provide about a three to one or maybe a four to one LTV to CAC ratio. So that means that we have a threshold of maximum this amount of CAC. But you all don't look at it that way because you're not going after funding and you're not beholden to to investors. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. 
So you have you have the luxury of moving at your own speed and, and not having that short term pressure to, yeah, to deliver yeah. that. Yeah, and I I I I don't even quite understand how that works. So if you have uh, a number that is your LTV, your uh, lifetime value of a customer, let's say like mm-hmm. it's it's a thousand dollars, and then you would try to have your cast- customer acquisition cost below that number so for example if if our lifetime value is a thousand dollars and we acquire customer for 900 what we should be happy about it to like to to have a margin of a hundred dollars and that is margin mm-hmm. purely on marketing span right right before any so any what, other what's cost. the actual profit there there's like almost mm-hmm. no profit. so what's the end game if like if if, if you're basically wasting all the money you get from customers, isn't this mm-hmm. like some kind of a bubble or something? We are, we are creating a profitable business. We are not creating a bubble that 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 like would go IPO and people would like pay yeah. money for like a Bitcoin or something. I think when there's investors involved and they have a they have a horizon of two, three, four years to basically to flip to flip it and get a three three x five x return. And their shareholders, they have shareholders also that demand this. They need to see that those SaaS companies they're investing in can leverage paid and not not necessarily the economics that you described are very razor thin margins, but a three to one uh, LTV to CAC ratio would imply that if your LTV is a thousand that you could acquire at say $300, which would be quite profitable. The unit economics look good. And if you could accelerate that, if you could, if you could fuel that with a ton of cash, you could get out ahead of competitors, and in one or two years, if the SEO tool space is going to eventually be a Coke and Pepsi game, um, you're, you're going to be one of the ones standing. You're going to be one of the 900-pound gorillas, the, the Salesforce or the HubSpot. That's how an investor well, would probably look at this, but you all don't look at it that way, which I, I think is really fascinating. Yeah, um, because- it's very interesting because our main competitor seems to be doing just that. Uh, because yeah. with the amount of advertising I, I'm seeing from them, uh, that is SEM Rush. Uh, it looks mm-hmm. like they are doing just that. They are acquiring customers at at a very high uh, price, while probably mm-hmm. knowing that the unit economics still work for them. So uh, it seems that they should eventually crush us. But so far, I don't see this happening because mm-hmm. with all the customer acquisition. Uh, internet is still a very open space and you cannot like if there are if if you know about coke you know about pepsi so if you know about sm rush you will know about hrefs that that's just how things work so i don't think it it is possible for them to crush us as long as our product is uh superior superior in some way it is, so yeah. yeah, if our products are equally, if anyone can basically create a similar product, if a product is a commodity, then yeah. yes, probably you have to race to to quickly win the market and decimate your competition. But if mm-hmm. your product has some uniqueness to it, if people can get from Hrefs something they cannot get from SM Rush, they wouldn't be able to crush us. No way. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we'll see. I don't know five, ten years from now. Uh, yeah. I may be completely right or I may be completely wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think also the dynamics of SEO, the SEO is, industry is still growing a lot. And I still think that there are more and more practitioners coming into the game. 
whether it be in-house marketing teams or also agencies, I think, especially in this last year of the pandemic, I think agencies exploded. I mean, it was a great year for digital agencies. So I think that when the market is still growing as fast as it is, you can't really obsess over market share. If you're Coke and Pepsi, there's just, there's a finite number of people that still drink uh, carbonated sugar water. And, and thankfully I think that number is going down now, but you're not in that kind of space. So you're not, you're not in a trench warfare over market share right now. You're actually trying to continue to grow the market with those competitors because it's still, it's still a wide open, I think it's a wide open game. And especially considering the fact that switching from a SEMrush to you guys, the switching cost is pretty low and, and it's easy for them to check out. Oh, let's check this out. It's not like switching a CRM where, oh man, I have to import well, I've, I've got to I've got to get all of my data from this platform, and I have to migrate it over to this other platform. There's none of that with uh, with the SEO tool space. So I think people are still very open minded, willing to check out new tools, uh, and the landscape is still really really dynamic. So I, I really love that you all are still bootstrapping and doing it your way, and uh, it's just an amazing story, Tim. Exactly, those are uh, very fair and accurate observations. Uh, so I just wanted to point out that what I'm saying about HFs doesn't necessarily apply to other businesses. And what you said about mm-hmm. like the cost of moving from uh, from app to app, uh, this is very important because, for example, uh, if you are an email marketing service, then you do want to probably beat your competition to acquiring all the customers uh, in the industry as fast as you can because then they mm-hmm. would be unlikely to switch. In our case, yeah, switching uh, is much easier. And same same goes to the fact that the industry is growing. So it's not like we are wrestling for a piece of the pie. The actual pie is growing and we're just trying yeah. to keep up with the demand uh, and be there for the people who need a tool like ours. Let me ask you this question, Tim. Do you track or do you have any sense of what portion of digital marketing agencies worldwide use Ahrefs? I have no idea. Uh, is there any way to estimate? I, I think there's somewhere around maybe 20,000 agencies, um, at least on Clutch. But do you think you have the majority of agencies on your, using your product today? Uh, it's hard to say. And I, I don't even know like if, uh, if uh, investigating that would make any sense because we have... Uh, a few different uh, packages like light package for $99 and agency package for $999 per month. And mm-hmm. an agency, like a small agency, which still might be listed in some agency's directory, it might be on our light package and some other agency uh, might be on our agency package. So it doesn't mm-hmm. really make sense to know if all of the agency or like what percentage of the agencies are using us. Uh, we just look at our overall number of customers and our overall revenue. So yeah, mm-hmm. knowing what percentage of agencies are using us is not necessarily indicative of anything uh, without knowing okay. what kind of package they use and w- w- like what are the numbers of the competitors, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we'll need to, yeah. to, to have more granular data to, to kind of make sense of it and to benchmark, benchmark it uh, against competitors or against the industry, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I understand. That would be, it would be interesting to know because every agency owner or person that I ever talk to, I've never met anyone who's not using HREFs. I mean, it's really, I, I assume it's the, it's the majority, but I think it would be interesting to segment out your customer base 
your agency customer base and see how they where they land in terms of plans and maybe think about how you could graduate certain people from the light plan up to the agency plan based on certain indications of maybe headcount growth, client growth, usage of the tool when 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 you know certain limitations ceilings start to get hit. Uh, there's probably there's probably uh, some growth opportunity there um, if if you're able to dig into that data. Uh, great. Well, Tim, I think we're we're starting to run short on time, and uh, I think I could go on for for hours longer, uh, but probably need to wrap this up. Is there anything that I didn't ask you today that you wished I would have asked you, or is anything that you'd like our audience to know? Uh, I I cannot think of anything. Uh, yeah, you you were asking great questions. Uh, it was probably the most kind of conversational podcast that I've had in a while. Uh, quite often, uh, podcast hosts would just like answer quite similar questions from from an interview to interview. But yeah, with you, mm-hmm. conversation was uh, really unexpected and very interesting, and like some some challenging topics were discussed there. So I hope the the audience enjoyed uh, our dissertations on on those topics. Great. So Tim, can you just let everybody know where they can find you online? What's the best place to 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 find your stuff? Uh, I'm most active on Twitter, so it is mm-hmm. at Tim Solo. Uh, and uh, just a quick plug for anyone who is interested to learn a little more about SEO. So we talked that HFs has uh, tons of uh, articles on our blog, and we have tons of videos on our YouTube channel. But if someone uh, is looking to uh, learn the fundamentals, we just recently created a nice kind of entry page into the world of SEO, which is located at hfs.com slash SEO. Uh, and this is basically a small collection of the kind of foundational resources for beginners. So if uh, people who are listening to us want to learn the, the very fundamentals of SEO, I'm not I'm not telling learn the, the, the entirety of SEO, but the fundamentals, uh, please go to hfs.com slash SEO uh, and check out our beginner materials. Yeah, I can vouch for that because I've checked out the, the beginner's guide and it's excellent. And I think that it was uh, the time is ripe for a newer and better beginner's guide. I think it was a good good timing on your part because I've been following Thank those you. beginner's guides also for for many years. Moz had dominated that for a long time, but uh, I, I tip my hat on the timing of that one to you all. And you know it's serious if you're going to dedicate slash SEO the URL. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That means course. that you're serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Um, well, great. Tim, I really enjoyed this. Thanks thanks very much for spending the time with me. And just for those of you who are listening and you're trying to find Tim, he spells his name like Soul, S-O-U-L with an O, Tim Solo. And uh, great content, amazing company. I think you still have uh, some exciting times ahead. Uh, good luck with that new search engine. We can't wait to get our hands on it. So, Thank you, Paris. Um, it has been great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Tim. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.